welcome to the Girls Who Run the World podcast, where we're bringing you inspiring guests who are leaders in their industries. We'll be tackling topics from education and empowerment to diversity and inclusion. Together, let's learn from these incredible women. This podcast is brought to you by Our Gorongosa. We create specialty coffee with 100% of profits supporting people, wildlife, and the planet in Gorongosa National Park, Mozambique. Girls' education is one of our biggest priorities because we know girls have the power to change the world. Just like Beyonce said, who runs the world? Girls! Hello and welcome back to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. I'm your host, Emily, and as always, I'm so grateful for you joining us today. And if you could show us a little love, we would truly appreciate it. So make sure you give us a shout out on social media at Our Gorongosa or write us an amazing glowing review. We love to see that as well. So let's get to today's episode featuring Urvashi Agarwal, the founder of JP's Originals. And it's a really, really cool product that is disrupting the tea industry. So JP's Originals was born in 2020 with a mission to revolutionize the tea industry. Super cool because the company is named after the founder's grandfather, Mr. JP, who was actually a tea grower in Assam in India. So what happened then was Urvashi struggled to really find the same quality of teas in an accessible form in the UK. And we talk about this in the episode as well. A lot of the kind of high quality teas that she was hoping to find were a little bit challenging to create at home. So they usually aren't in their own package and it can be a bit fussy, right? I also learned from Urvashi that most teas, or I should say a lot of tea in tea bags, have some level of plastic in it. So that was a new learning for me. Super interesting. So in this episode, you'll learn what life was like growing up with first-generation immigrants as parents and what that unique experience was like for her. We also talk about how much she learned from her father's determination, persistence, and grit in setting up his own entrepreneurial journey in the UK. We talk about her early career journey. Fun fact, she started out as something you would not expect to turn into a tea entrepreneur. So that was super interesting. So make sure you listen for that. And we touch on sleep hygiene. So what it is and why it's so important to your overall health. We both really share a passion for that. So (laughs) I hope you enjoy those tips. And lastly, we talked about the ways in which sustainability is at the forefront of everything JP's Originals does. So they are a fellow B Corporation just like us. So we love to support that community. So make sure you connect with JP's Originals and their website is linked up. So let's get to it. Here's episode 27 featuring Irva Shi, founder of JP's Originals. Welcome to the show, Urvashi. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Emily. I'm so excited to get chatting and we're just going to get jump right on in. And I want to ask you, what are you most grateful for in your life right now? Okay. So gratitude is actually a huge part of my life right now. Every day I kind of go to bed and I think about what I'm most grateful for. I mean, right now, I would definitely say the people in my life. I'm so, so blessed. So like, I'm currently trying to plan a wedding. I'm running a new business. I've just got like, I'm, it's just crazy. And I'm so lucky that my fiance, Jack, is just, he supports me so, so much. He is there helping me with my trade shows. He's at home with me, like, you know, 
cooking me dinner if I haven't eaten because I'm just up to my ears with work. And, you know, he's got a demanding job too. So he's incredible. And then Nicola, my main team member at JP's with me, she is unbelievable. She's a superwoman and so, so grateful for her as well. So yeah, people, hundred percent of people yes. in my life. I love that. And sounds like you have incredible people. So what inspires you daily? So what are some ways that you draw inspiration to get you, you know, through the work day? What inspires you? Okay. So I mean, I would say overall, my main inspiration has to be my parents because I think about how they came to this country, they eloped from India, they came to this country like 36, 37 years ago, and they had no idea what they were going to do. They had nothing and they sort of created a niche. Um, They have a stone business. It's so completely random, like marble and granite for interiors. And they have built an incredible business and they've built an incredible work culture and their sort of working way of building a family, building a life and running a business just absolutely inspires me every single day. You know, if I can get there, I've made it. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you're well on your way, which is amazing. (laughs) What advice would you give to your younger self if she would listen? Um, so I am a big perfectionist. I used to be more of a perfectionist, my younger self, especially. So what I would always do is just think not now, not now I'm not ready to do this now. It could be anything, a project, another startup business I was working on. I would always be like, no, I still need to work on it. I still need to make it better. Is this logo? Okay. Is the packaging? Okay. Like everything had to be better and better. And I was like, and you know, the one thing I will tell myself is, just go for it, just do it because it's all about kind of iterating your business and making it responsive, making it better, changing it in response to feedback you're getting from people and the environment and market. So hundred percent is just go for it. Just don't, don't wait, just do it. (laughs) Yes. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And as a recovering perfectionist myself, (laughs) I've had to really kind of play with the idea that most of the time, actually all the time, done is better than perfect. I used to think that that was a terrible mantra. And now I realize that that's really it because there's actually no such thing as perfect. So if you're waiting on perfect, you're going to be waiting forever and you're never going to get anything done or accomplish what you want. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) If you don't start start now, you just don't know what tomorrow will bring, you know? Yes. And I think that's such a good point for any entrepreneur or really just anyone. People ask me advice often, you know, how did you get to where you are in your career? Or how did you kind of go through these different parts of marketing and PR? Mm -hmm. And really it's a similar concept of, I just tried things. So Mm -hmm. I took different jobs that allowed me to try different things. I did agency for a while, so I could really try different aspects of marketing. And you quickly realize what you're talented at, what you don't like, what you like. And for me, it's the trial and error. And especially for entrepreneurship, I think it's so, so important that you said that. Completely. Also, because sometimes you have a really hot idea and you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to wait. Let me make it better. Let me make it better. And then six months later, three other people have come out and done exactly the same thing. And it's too. you feel like it's too late. So yes. yeah. And I also would say on that note, there is an energy that you can work with too, when you have the idea and it's first kind of getting started, 
Mm-hmm. I always think do it now, do it now, do it now, because otherwise I find it kind of can dilute. And a lot of the things you were thinking about, and like I said, that energy behind it is yeah. kind of not gone, but it's much more diluted. And then I think it's harder to get it going. <laughs> so I always, if you have a great idea, just, just, just it. try it. Yeah. Just go. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is one mantra you like to live your life by? Okay. So it's not a mantra per se, but, and it sounds very cliched, but I genuinely, it's just, I think it's so important. My, the thing that I live by every single day is persistence and hard work. Like nothing in life just happens. Nothing in life is just given to you. It's just so easy to kind of be a bit complacent, but where JP's has gotten today or where I have gotten today is purely just hard work. Like any account that I've managed to close is because I'm like, no, I'm not going to rest until we do it. And it's just about persistence, hard work. And at least when you've tried, you know, and it's not, it's, you know, you haven't not succeeded because you just didn't bother. It's a bit like I put a hundred percent into this and there is a chance I didn't succeed or I did succeed, but you can go away from it being like feeling more fulfilled, feeling like you've, you've tried. So for me, it's all about persistence, hard work. Failure is a good thing. Failure is a great thing. Failure helps you learn. It helps you kind of, again, it's all about responsiveness. It gets, it's feedback. It's live feedback for, for you. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why I would say my mantra is. (laughs) I love it. It reminds me of one of mine, which is you either win or you learn. Because I truly believe that that's the case. Either you go out and you try this new idea you had. And for you, for example, you go out to these accounts that you think you're going to be great fits. And either they say yes yeah, or they say no. And they probably, to your point, give you some feedback that maybe that isn't quite the right business to go for. Maybe that's not quite the niche that you were hoping to get into. So then you've learned. And then the next time you go out, you know more. <laughs> so you win or you learn. <laughs> Love that. It's, yes. it's a way more concise way of putting what I said. <laughs> well, this is my job. This I'm <laughs> I work in communications and branding. So it's like that's what I'm good. I'm some I'm good at summarizing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Who or what has been your biggest teacher in your life so far? Um, my dad without a doubt. So um, I know I touched on my parents earlier, my dad, because it's once I've, since I've started a business, I've realized just how incredibly hard it is to think about everything by yourself, you know, your supply chain, your sales, your entire business staff, um, you know, and now you've got things like back then, especially with this wholesale business, you didn't have to think about it, but now you've got brand identity. You've got so much to think about constantly. And as a small startup, you don't have, you know, 50 PIs and I don't at least have 50 people working for me. I, you know, it's me and Nicola and we have the occasional intern being completely honest. And it's seeing him and the way that he kind of just worked from absolutely nothing, literally from having some tiles in his garage to renting a warehouse space in Essex and having to literally buy guys in the warehouse coffees to like get them to load his slabs on trucks and stuff. It was just such, such hard work, you know, being a first generation immigrant into the country and just doing everything from scratch. And he's just so humble and he just fosters absolutely the right 
kind of the right kind of sort of energy and culture in the business. And I've just learned so much from him. And every day I'm still learning from him. So he he has been my absolute biggest teacher, without a doubt. Oh, I figured you were going to say your parents or yeah, your mom or your dad, which is amazing. And I think I have such deep respect for any immigrant, though, whether you start a business or Mm. just find a career in a whole new country, oftentimes a whole new language. I just have such deep respect for it. And I think partly is because my husband's Brazilian and he came to Canada about 10 years ago and just, you know, started a, a new life. And I just hearing from him some of the and just seeing, I guess, some of the struggles that can go along with it. I think I just have an even deeper respect for it. And what your dad did, it's incredible. It really is. You have to be in awe of that because it's just mm-hmm. that human, you know, persistence like you were talking about and just mm-hmm. figuring it out, not exactly. taking a complete no. Because I think what yeah. happens a lot of times with entrepreneurs and just people in their careers, yeah, life is they have a few, they hit a few snags hear a few no's and then they roll over. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be so thick skinned. Oh my God. Yeah. That's oh, one yeah. thing. Like another, like I've got so many lessons I've learned from my parents, but one of them is being thick skinned. Like my mom will call up and try and sort of pitch to a client or approach a, customer, a potential customer. And they'll just, you know, someone might have a bad day and say a few things and say no. And my mom will just smile and get off the phone and just Great. be like, yeah, just call another one. Like, and I love that approach. There's no negativity. You're not holding it in. You're still kind of going with it. And like the other thing about my dad is he worked tirelessly to build a life for his family, but then he wasn't just all consumed in his work. He was still around to do the school run or to dry our hair. Like I've got such interesting random memories of our childhood with him because it, he, he was, he was very involved as a father as well. So I'm very lucky in that respect that, you know, he, he worked hard and he did really well and he's taught me so much, but he was also a great dad. So, yes, huge respect for that too, because I do think you hear often the typical gender roles sometimes of the dad who is potentially building a business or building a busy career and not being there. And I just, I, it really warms my heart to hear that you had these nice memories of your dad. And it's funny because now that I have, I have one son and I'm pregnant now again, and it's, it it, thanks. It helps you though, to put things into perspective when I hear these types of things, because your kids are not going to remember, you know, what exact activities you got them into and, you know, the proper grammar schools they went to potentially and all that kind of stuff but they will remember those things like that made them feel cared for. I think is what it is. A hundred percent. And as we said, like the whole concept of like gender roles in a household and with work have completely just flipped. And, you know, my mom wasn't a housewife by any means. She was fully supportive of my dad and working um, with him from, you know, day one. And they had this family together and now more and more, even, you know, me with, with, Jack, when we talk about, you know, what kind of family life we envision to have, he's, he's so incredibly supportive of me, even though he's busy with work. And yeah, it's, it's nice knowing more and more that people are taking on more of an equal or equitable 
sort of household responsibility. It's not all expected to, to kind of be the woman's responsibility. So yeah, I absolutely respect that. I respect the men supporting the women. Yeah. We love to see it. <laughs> so you've touched on this a little bit, but I would love to hear a bit more about what kind of your early life was like and maybe what it was like growing up with parents who were first generation immigrants, because I think that does have unique challenges. Um, It has, I think, also unique benefits, uh, but I'd love to chat. Yeah. A little bit about that and your early life. Yeah. So I was born in London, uh, North London, and um, we had quite a nice, I would say by, by, by anyone's standards, like I would say a fairly normal life. So we had good me. I've got a younger sister. She's four and a half years younger than me. And she's an incredible woman who's doing great things. Um, And we grew up in North London and we had a nice sort of normal life. I was not very academic. I had very little interest in academia. My sister is way, she was literally like springing out of bed to go to school. And I'd be like, oh, do I really have to go? So I was like sort of a minimal effort, but still got by kind of girl. Teachers always saying like, come on, can you like just put in a bit more? That's all we need from you. But yeah, I was, I had a really, really good life. And the thing that I'm very grateful for, because you hear a lot about, the issue of of race and how it feels being an ethnic minority um, in in certain cities and countries and things like that. But I was really, I was very fortunate living in London where it's sort of a melting pot that it's only really when I left London or in certain situations, very rarely did I, was I made to feel like an ethnic minority up until then you, you barely even recognize your skin color. You barely sort of, you barely recognize any difference between you and the other kids. You're all sort of kids together. So I was quite, I was, I lived like quite a nice sort of normal life and then we lived in Florida for about three years in Boca Raton near wow which was quite interesting it was a very completely different experience it is so different in I haven't been to Boca Raton but just Florida in general yeah I have been to versus London like those are very different places completely different and it's so bizarre because you grow up watching all these like tv shows and you go there and you see like the yellow buses and the lockers and you know everything it was it was a really fun experience but it was you know when as soon as I was told by the teachers you know what you're gifted and you need to go into the honor roll society and you're so smart my mom was like something's not right we need to leave. I need to take you back to London where they're literally like telling you, you know, work harder. <laughs> You're not good enough. So she was like, we need to go back. <laughs> That's hilarious. So what prompted them to move to Florida? That's a big change. Yeah, it was such a big change. So this was still in the sort of initial period of my parents' stone business. And my dad decided to buy a computer sort of wholesale business with his university friend from New York in Florida. So they went and that's what they kind of started. And they did that for a few years. And then we moved back just because my mom was just like, I need the whole London melting pot thing again. She was worried that we weren't kind of embracing our Indian culture as much over there and things like that. So obviously it's different in every community, but Boca Raton specifically was 
was not I it was it's not quite like London um it's not like a big metropolitan city it is quite a small town so it was it was a hard move um so yeah we came back and then my dad slowly kind of exited that business after a few years as well and then the stone business stone world kind of carried on on the up so yeah it was a it was interesting and then uh, I did engineering at university also fell into that my dad did engineering and I initially thought I was going to do like a businessy degree and then I, I sort of pivoted and I decided to go for engineering and I learned the most brilliant things there honestly it just changed the way that I think and I plan and it was it was just such a great fit yeah and I would I would I hate to say it to all the kids out there, but the first time I've really worked hard is probably just real life working professionally was my real, real hard work. Um, I just, I just didn't put enough in with academia. I was just too busy having a good time. (laughs) You know what? I was a little bit similar. It's funny though. I actually liked school, but I also felt like a lot of it was very easy for me. So even though I liked it, I didn't put maximum effort in because I'm like, why would I? Because yeah. I can still get A's with doing minimal effort. So why not come with your friends? Like, why yeah. not? <laughs> why? Why? That seems silly to extend myself for nothing. <laughs> so funny. I'd love to chat a bit about how you went from an engineering degree. <laughs> to the entrepreneur lifestyle and starting your business. So how did that kind of jump happen? Okay. So, I mean, even for me, sometimes I laugh at the thought that I did an engineering degree. I have moments where I think I can't believe I've like, (laughs) I've, I've done an engineering degree, but so after I graduated, I realized at that point that I didn't want to work for another company. It was clear to me because since the age of 16, every summer I'd done, I'd I'd sort of worked in an office of some sort or the other, and I'd had all different experiences. And I just decided at that point, you know what, it's not for me. I feel like my creativity and my ideas are kind of being contained and it's kind of a bit stifling. So I was lucky enough to start working with my dad. So I joined him fresh out of university in 2009 and I cried every day for the first week (laughs) because it was so hard Um, because I think there's always this misconception. I mean, for some people, it's great. You go into a family business and you go into like a fancy office and you're basically walk in as a fresh graduate, but you're like the director of the company. But for my dad, it was, no, no, you need to prove yourself. I was in the office making people teas and coffees. And I'd be looking at him being like, I've done an engineering degree. Why am I making people hot drinks? And he's like, it's not just about your degree. You need to have like, I think he was trying to shake the generational entitlement out of me that kind of exists a lot. Like there's a lot of, you know, you graduate and you feel like more, you feel superior and you feel like, oh, I can just waltz into like a professional job and just get everything I want and I'll get a fancy desk and I'm, I'm the big deal now, but that's absolutely not what happened. So started from the bottom, made these teas and coffees. He would, if I made a mistake, he would, 
literally tell me off in front of other people. It was just like I started from the absolute bottom and I had to work really, really hard and prove myself. And you know what? It was it was great. It was really hard work, but every day I'm so grateful for my opportunity and what I learned from it. Like it got to a point where I was living with my parents at that stage. And if I'd gone out the night before and I was late for work, he'd say, I know you, what time you got home last night. So you shouldn't be in the office this late. Like don't go out if you can't handle it. And it was all these things that like, they sound stupid said out loud, but it kind of like it, it was like kind of like a course corrector and just making me reprioritize things and really understand that if I wanted, if I wanted something in life, I really needed to work really, really hard for it, especially working with my dad. So it was an amazing experience and I still work with him. And he was amazing because with time he would, he would take risks. He would say to me, if this is what you want to do, let's do it. And So from that perspective, the benefits of working with a family were incredible because I was able to do so much more. In terms of entrepreneurial spirit, obviously it runs through my veins because my grandparents, my uncles and aunties, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that I've just been surrounded by. So for me, it was sort of, you know, my my dad's built this incredible business from the ground up. I mean, I will always be able to work there and support him and be there. But I also want to do something for myself from the ground up. So that's kind of where in my mind, I thought I want to start my own business. That sense of achievement, that's kind of what I wanted, like feeling fulfilled, feeling like I've created something and this is my baby. So I always had like a book of ideas and things I was always thinking about. And I worked on a few small ideas. I worked, you know, very briefly working on a shoe brand, very briefly on like a brunch delivery company, uh, then like a, a fashion business. I, I like dipped my toes a little into these little things, but I never really pushed it uh, very far. And then working at Stone World, I was drinking a lot of coffee, no disrespect to coffee, but (laughs) I was a little bit addicted to it. And I found myself just drinking six or seven cups a day. And I realized that it just didn't suit me and my sleep wasn't very good. And I was feeling very anxious. And one day I was sort of like in bed and thinking like, oh, I just can't wait for that smell of coffee. And I was like, you know what? I think I need to just cut it out now. And I decided to go cold turkey on the coffee. And then I started looking for teas. And I thought, okay, let me try and see if there's sort of tea that I could go for because it's lower and it's like sort of half the amount of caffeine in a cup of tea. So for me, I, I, you know, I might be more caffeine sensitive, et cetera. So I was like, let me try tea maybe it'll make me less jittery. However, everything I found, they were sort of tea bags, which had like dust in them, not real specialty tea. And the real specialty tea came in loose leaf, beautiful caddies, not necessarily as accessible, but available, not easy to make a cup of tea in the office or when you're staying at your friend's house or when you go to your parents' house, like it was becoming a bit of a hassle. So I was like, why don't I create really, really high end specialty whole leaf tea that is in a, in a pyramid infuser. It's not a tea bag. It's, it's a pyramid infuser. And so I'm not compromising on anything and that's what I can drink. So I started working on that idea. I went to the UK tea Academy. I know there is a tea Academy. So cool. I know. (laughs) I love that. 
<laughs> it was very cool. It was such a cool experience. So I went to the UK Tea Academy because I thought I need to learn about tea. The other thing I forgot to mention is my grandfather was a tea grower in Assam. So he had incredible tea plantations and we still have some of the tea plantations in our family today. They're in Assam in India. And that my memory of drinking tea would always have been with my grandfather in India when I'd go and visit him once or twice a year. And it tasted so different to the tea that I had access to here. So I started working on it. I went and I met a tea consultant in India. I created all these blends. I was literally sitting there and blending tea at home and, you know, thinking about what suits my palate. Like I'm, I'm very particular with um, my tastes. I like cooking. I like flavors. So I kind of went by what I enjoyed. And then I did um, a whole, I did like tasting sessions with friends and I started to, to get into it. And then I had a health problem. And came out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere. And in the end, I was on a lot of medication. We don't know what it was. I mean, they thought it was something very nasty. They basically thought it was a type of cancer. And it was just a lot of medication that I was on, like steroids and immunosuppressants and all these things. And the side effects were just horrific. And someone recommended CBD to me. So that's where the CBD element came in. And I thought, okay, I'll try CBD. I was taking the drops. They were good. But the more I read about CBD, I thought I should think about putting this in with the tea and creating well-being blends so that it can actually support you through the day. So that's how I kind of bought the CBD, you know, well-being blends. And I had the specialty tea. And together, that's kind of how JP's Originals was born. Mm, so cool. And it's interesting because something I feel quite strongly about is kind of like, I would call it habit stacking. So when you already do something every day, Mm -hmm. let's say it's like brushing your teeth, that might be a good place to add, I don't know, flossing. It's not the best example, but you know, that's a good time. Every time you brush your teeth, you now have to floss and that's how you can kind of get into that habit. So I think what you've done is really cool because it's funny. I have problems like struggles taking supplements properly, no matter what it is. It's like, yeah. I find it hard sometimes. <laughs> like, is it so, yeah, yeah. And like the nice thing is instead of having the two different things, like you have your tea in the morning and maybe you take your CBD. It's like, mm. it's kind of like habit stacking. You put them together and uh, then uh, you just don't have to think about it. <laughs> you don't have to think about it. And also with CBD, there is just so much uncertainty and fear and lack of education and seeing these tinctures and vapes and things kind of give it sort of a bad rap. So having it in tea just made it more accessible. You know, people were drinking it and they'd say, oh, I didn't realize it had CBD in it. Like, it's not that scary. Like I've enjoyed it and I feel good. So it's, it's a really great way to remove the sort of negative perception that kind of surrounds CBD currently. Yes, absolutely. So switching gears, something that you and I have in common is that we're both very passionate about sleep. (laughs) So I, I love that you kind of mentioned that to me before the interview, because I have been passionate about sleep hygiene and sleep health for a long time. Um, Yeah, I've just always found it shocking to me that people don't realize that that's literally the best thing you can do for any recovery, for any health issue, but also just for your overall well-being. It literally there's nothing in my opinion, but if you're going to fix one thing, it should mm-hmm. be your sleep. 
like I oh my god <laughs> like a hundred a hundred percent like I agree with you wholeheartedly and I learned about you know sleep and well-being etc the hard way so for me mm-hmm. up until I started the CBD blends I was not sleeping well I would sleep like five hours a night six hours a night and I would just be like oh yeah that's great like why not it's that I'm still functioning I drink coffee I just get on with my day And I realized after my health problem happened and I went on a retreat and I kind of scaled back, I realized, you know what, sleep and rest and nutrition, all of these things combined are essential. They're like the building blocks to your mental and physical health. And as you rightfully said, like no one is taking sleep seriously. I feel like now more than ever, people are trying to squeeze every living minute out of their day to just be productive and do things like there's just, it's just such a go, go, go life that we're all leading. And I think if anything needs to be scaled back on in the day, the last thing it should be is sleep. Like sleep should always be the priority for that reason. Like I always say that it's, you don't want to just be operating. You want to be performing. And I feel like if you're not sleeping, you're just operating. You're just, you're like, you're just doing things, but you're not performing. You won't, you won't have the best ideas. You won't be able to like crush it in the gym. You won't be able to, you know, give anything a hundred percent because you are in, you're, you're exhausted and you get all these health issues, mental health issues off the back of it, you know? And yeah, sleep hygiene is super, super crucial. Do you have like, what are your like three or four or maybe even five, like pre-bedtime tips that are crucial. (laughs) Yeah. So I have some pretty non-negotiable ones. One is no screens 30 minutes before. There was times, depends on the time in my life. There's times when I do a full hour um, of no screens. It just kind of depends, but I aim for always that 30 minutes before just to have that wind down time and less stimulation. And then I love to read before bed. So I kind of find that's my activity is that I read before bed. And then in terms of caffeine, that's a huge one. So I don't have any caffeine after typically it's even earlier, but I cut it hard at, you know, around noon because caffeine has kind of a half life of hours and hours. So even if it's tea and you have it at 7 PM, half that's still going to be there by 11 when you go to sleep. And the crazy thing that people don't understand is just because you can fall asleep doesn't mean it's not affecting the quality of your sleep. So yeah, I think for me, it's the no caffeine, it's the no screens after those certain times. And then just having some sort of ritual where for me, it's kind of like maybe my skincare and my reading, but whatever it is that puts you into that. And then other little things, I sleep with earplugs. (laughs) because <laughs> it really drowns out any extra noise. So yeah, those are kind of mine. Yeah. They're really good. They're really good. So <laughs> I'll tell you mine. So I, so, so one of the first things I did as I developed a sleep blend for my, one of my teas and I spent a year developing it. And I said, I am the best guinea pig for yeah. this product. Like if I can fall asleep, everybody can fall asleep. So I spent a year developing it and then I created the sleep deep which is my infusion. And 
even to this day, non-negotiable. I need to drink it every single night. Like I carry it with me when I travel. I take it with me if I'm staying at my parents' house, like whatever I'm doing, I have to take it with me. So yeah, like that's, I've got like the similar to you, I've got a whole ritual. So no (laughs) screens. We try to do no screens in the bedroom generally anyway, because it's nice to just like have a chat with your partner before bed anyway. So yeah, no screens, absolutely no screens cutting out caffeine, my caffeine threshold, I've left it at around 5 p.m. So I don't have any more teas after 5 p.m. at all. Um, Only sleep deep the infusion, which has no caffeine in it. I really rely on a brain dump, which is very important. So what I do is before you go to bed, that is when your mind starts to relax and you're like, oh my God, I have to do this in the morning or I need to buy bananas, I need to buy milk, I need to send this email, or I need to, I've just had this great idea for marketing or whatever. So I always keep a journal by my bed and I'll write down whatever's on my mind, like anything, even if it's just like words or phrases, don't use your phone, don't use the notes section on your phone, like write it out. And if it's private or it's something you're venting, you've had an argument with someone or you've got some sort of conflict going on in your life, write it down, screw up the piece of paper and throw it in the bin. But write it down. And it's incredible how that thought will not continue to just circle in your mind whilst you're trying to sleep. Because more often than not, when you've got so much on your mind, you may fall asleep, but you will either dream about it or you'll wake up several times during the night thinking about all these things that you you have on your mind. And they could be the smallest things. And a brain dump is just absolutely essential. So I always try and do one of those before bed as well. And yeah, simple things like a bath, a nice bath, making sure the temperature in the room is nice and cool. It's not too hot. Yeah. Like all of these things are so, so important because people don't realize. And also never going to bed hungry. That's a massive one because even though you might fall asleep, once your blood sugar drops, you will find yourself waking up at like 2, 3 a.m. So I always say eat like a cracker with nut butter on it, have a tiny bowl of porridge, have a banana, have anything, just don't you know, a lot of people say it's fine. Like, I'll just wait till breakfast. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, don't do that. Just have something, have any thought. Yeah. And you don't want to go too far either direction because for me too, like if you've eaten a big meal and then you try to go to bed for me, even like an hour and a half later, that usually doesn't work well, but same thing. I'll never go to bed hungry. So if I have eaten an early dinner and I'm going to bed around 10 30, 11, usually, and I'm like, Oh, I'm a little hungry. I'll do exactly that. Have just a little snack because yeah, you don't want to wake up in the night. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> no, yeah. thanks. Up and then you're tossing and turning and then, yeah, I completely agree. So yeah, sleep hygiene, so, so important. And people need to just understand that sleep is a building block to just existence. You know? Yeah. And not to scare people, but there's starting to be a lot more research with the connection between sleep deprivation, prolonged sleep deprivation. Like, here's the thing, you know, if you get a bad night of sleep one time, or, you know, I've had a newborn, you don't sleep for six months. That's okay. You can build it, build it back up. It's all right. But for, for years and years, people are having little sleep and you need, they say now it's like seven is like a bare minimum. Absolutely. Yes bare minimum. And so we're starting to find that there's some connections. It's not causality, but there's some connections with things like Alzheimer's because the brain doesn't have time to kind of repair and rest. So not to scare people and sleep is so important. 
Yeah. Not to scare you, but also you should be slightly scared and everyone needs to go to bed <laughs> oh, and go to sleep. And go to sleep. The other thing I will also say is like, don't mess with your body clock. Like don't go to sleep, you know, during the weeknights at like 10 PM and wake up at 6 AM. And then on the weekend, try and go to bed at 4 AM. And then on Monday, think, why is my body clock not kind of going back to that? Try and try and go to bed and wake up within an hour, hour and a half, either way of when you normally go to bed. So your body does not struggle. Then there's less of a struggle in the mornings. There's less of a struggle falling asleep. So that's super important as well. Yeah. I've got loads of this. I could do this for days. Agree. I know. I'm like, we need apparently a series on sleep. (laughs) (laughs) So last thing I wanted to chat to you about before we get into the rapid fire round was really about being a newly minted B Corp. Congratulations. So with B Corps, as most of our listeners will know, there is such a huge proponent of sustainability, of course. And I know for you, that's really at the forefront of your business. So can you tell us a little bit about how for JPs that you kind of have set yourselves apart in that regard? What might be a little unique about your sustainability approaches or just some ways that you've approached that? Sure. Absolutely. So in terms of sustainability, they're like two parts of the business that are very crucial. So for us, we've got like one angle, which is obviously the environmental impact. And the other is like social impact. So from an environmental perspective within the UK alone, British, you know, British people consume a hundred million cups of tea a day. And that is a lot of tea, like a lot um, compared to 70 million cups of coffee a day. So to put in perspective, like it's a lot of tea. And the problem is that the majority of the tea consumed come in these little paper tea bags. And what people don't realize is that they look paper, you know, they look like paper and some of them can be unbleached and like brown looking paper bags, etc. but they contain microplastics. So that means that with each cup of tea, yeah, people don't realize that unless it says on the box that it's plastic free, that tea bag has plastic in it. And you, that means yeah. you're drinking plastic potentially. You're potentially just stewing that plastic in hot water and drinking it, but also the negative environmental impact. Like if we're looking at, you know, how we consume our water and moving, you know, looking at recyclable plastic or moving to glass bottles and reusable water bottles and, you know, how we consume our coffee and we recycle our coffee pods and have freshly ground coffee that we put into our compost bins and things like that. Like same hasn't been done with tea. It's it, there has been a shift. There has been a movement. And for me, it was crucial when I was starting the business that we were plastic free. So Everything, our tea bags, the pyramids, the string, the tag, the little envelopes that they're packaged into, the boxes, completely plastic free. We do daily drinker jars and refill packs. So again, for people who want to cut down waste even more and they don't need the individual envelopes, we offer refill packs that can go to their home and they have these lovely glass jars. So completely biodegradable. Everything is compostable. We're trying to keep it all environmentally friendly. We don't want to take away from the luxury element. We want to make sure that people understand that you can still have luxury. You can still have quality without compromising on the planet, maintaining sort of consciousness of the planet and the environment. So that was really important for us. And then on the other side, the social, from a social perspective, we're working with a charity uh, called Friends Nine. 
and we've partnered with them for one of our blends, the Rose Chai. And it's really exciting because Friendsline support women who have suffered gender-based violence. And they're based in India currently, and they're also moving into Kenya. And what they do is they support these women who've suffered gender-based violence through a 12-week mental health program. So often in less economically developed countries and also depending on the culture, uh, the local culture of that country, uh, mental health problems are sort of given a backseat. It's sort of the focus is always on the physical aspect, sort of what, what manifests itself physically and mental health is just not prioritized. So we're so happy to be helping with this charity. So for every three boxes of rose chai that we sell, we help one woman through a 12 week mental health program. So it's really, really exciting. And for us, it's really important to kind of do things in terms of our social impact and help communities. And we're looking at other initiatives that we can build on this year. So it's really important. And as you rightfully said, with B Corp, the one thing that they really stand for, it's it's about your impact your business has with all the stakeholders, everyone that's kind of exposed to your business. So it's not about the business and the profit that we're making. It's about the difference that we're making and how we're helping people and how we're helping the environment. So yeah, we're very, we're, we're so pleased to be B Corp certified. It's, it's, it's so wonderful. And it's such a hard process. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's no joke. <laughs> not a joke, not for the faint hearted at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's incredible. And that sounds like such a worthy cause. And that's really yeah, amazing that you're doing that. Thank you. <laughs> so before we get to the rapid fire round, I want to acknowledge you, Urvashi, for the incredible work you're doing, not only disrupting the tea industry, because I think you are a disruptor, which is amazing. And the amazing way that you are also tying it into that kind of wellness and mental well-being aspect with the charity you're supporting as well. So you're doing amazing work. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Rapid fire round. Are you ready? Yes. A book that's changed your life. Um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I need to read that. Really need to. <laughs> Favorite place you've traveled. India. It's going to be India. <laughs> I got to add that to my list too. <laughs> I have to do it. Every part of India is just incredible. So, so different. Each part of the country is just so unique. So yes, yeah. it looks beautiful. What is a lesson you've learned recently? Put yourself first. I actually had to relearn this lesson. I learned this lesson in 2019 and I've, I've kind of unlearned it in recent years and I've kind of I'm relearning it. You got to put yourself first. Mm, I love that. It's especially important one for women and girls, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Name a woman who inspires you. Indra Nui, the ex-CEO of Pepsi. Yeah, she's pretty she's, cool. She's, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been incredible. And I want to make sure everyone goes and follows you. So where is the best place we can connect with JPs? So JP's Originals on Instagram, and you can find us in Harrods, Dalesford, Four Seasons, Hampshire, uh, Revital, quite a few stores um, in the UK and abroad. So yeah. Awesome. I love Harrods. So that makes me happy. (laughs) 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 Thank you so much again. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. My pleasure. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would love it. Leave us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Our Gorongosa, head over to OurGorongosa.com and find us on social at OurGorongosa.com.